You're listening to another episode of Our Pack Politics Podcast. It's about that time for the next episode. I'm Brittany McDowell, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Our Pack Politics Podcast. If you don't know, our podcast is brought to you by our organization, our United Resource Pack, which is in fact a tax exempt political organization. On today's show, we are going to pick up on part two of our conversation about deficits, changes, and the labor market. Uh, in our last episode, I quite frankly, was not planning for it to be a multi-part episode, but I got a little carried away. Uh, And so rather than subject you to this lengthy episode, I decided to put it in two parts. And here we are at the second part. So that said, let's go ahead and let's jump in to part two of our conversation, again, about deficits, changes, and the labor market. Part one of our conversation about deficits, changes, and the labor market, we talked a lot about record high deficits, right? That led us kind of all over the place. It took us to a conversation about the dollar being debt. We talked about how wealth generation requires debt, not just for individuals and families, but also the country. Um, and, And then we even went even more on a tangent and talked about the realities of making change on any type of equality, but Uh, especially this equality around income, right? So um, the the first thing that I want to um, address or kind of question in part two of our conversation around deficits, changes on the labor market is this, I want to kind of paint this this, uh, picture of the economic changes that we're likely to see continued for some time, because I, I think that there is this um, this uh, kind of ignorance, whether willful, willfully or just you know not willfully, but there's this kind of ignorance around um, you know well when things get better you know, with the pandemic and the economy, everything is just going to magically kind of go back to the past. Everything is going to go back to the good old days. But that is not going to be the case for a few economic changes. One in particular that I want to talk about that is going to impact a lot of people. Um, And and, and that the main change there, there are quite frankly, a lot of things that are going to change. Um, But I think kind of the bigger thing that should stick out for people, and you may have heard this in various conversations, is low interest rates sticking around. And 
we hear about them in the context of the low interest rates being great for companies that you know would not otherwise survive without government support and again it kind of takes me back to something that i've mentioned not just in part one of this conversation but other times during our podcast we don't hear the same when it comes to your average everyday americans you know there's there's no outcry about uh the low there's when it comes to like anything even remotely similar that is only and explicitly uh, out there to help average everyday Americans that would not survive without government support. Notice how any government support that aids businesses simultaneously, uh, while simultaneously uh, assisting consumers, if they just happen to be assisted as a byproduct, then they're okay with it. But anything that is explicitly and only for the average everyday American people are adamantly against it. But then if we reverse it and we look at assistance that is explicitly and only for businesses, there's no outcry about that. Just just kind of, as I say, peep game to that. Um, I mentioned in part one how there's kind of this frequent talk and almost uh, fear-mongering that happens in the conversation about ending emergency support for companies, right? It's going to be so painful and they're not going to survive. And we do not hear the same thing when we talk about pulling the rug from under consumers, from under families, from under individuals. Heck, look at what's going on right now, how several states are opting out of continuing their pandemic uh, pandemic unemployment uh, uh uh, assistance program, the PUA program, the program that was meant to help the self-employed and gig workers actually be able to get unemployment, something they, they traditionally had not been able to do. They pull that rug directly from under them. And it's quite interesting and unique in that position because because those people are taking advantage or they're being provided benefits that typically are in, uh, provided to employees, I think they're not really understanding that they are pulling the rug in a lot of respects from under business owners. The same class of people that typically they don't mind helping. Typically they will go above and beyond to help. But because there's even a semblance of them even remotely seeming anything close to the average everyday American in this situation, people who cannot have their businesses in this moment for whatever reason, it's not functional due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're just gonna pull the rugs right from under them. I've mentioned before that it's kind of mind boggling that a lot of people seem to have this disconnect as if businesses are completely detached from consumers. We cannot have a situation where we only help businesses and don't help consumers, nor can we have a situation where we only help consumers and don't help businesses. Is it going to be 50-50? Is it going to be, well, we're gonna give this group 50%? We're gonna, no, it's not going to be that, but it has to be adequate to fit the needs and demands of both parties. And that's not what we're seeing. We're not seeing that. We are seeing people kind of describe the uh, the assistance that is needed as assistance that does not have consumers anywhere in the equation. Businesses cannot survive without, I don't care how, how low interest you give these people, I don't care how many PPP loans you give these people, if they have no one to consume their services, they have no one to buy their products, you were just simply setting up ghost companies, shell companies. Months and months and months ago, I talked about, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. He's on Shark Tank. I talked about him and how he said this very same thing. He And this was early on when 
Mark, and it wasn't Mark Cuban, it was the other one. Um, well, there's like multiple, right? <laughs> but um, this other one, he, you know, basically was saying kind of in line with if you've been kind of paying attention to what Mark Cuban had been saying early on about how, hey, we need to like give consumers like direct cash on a monthly basis, weekly basis, something along those lines, and essentially demand that they inject it into the economy. Um, same deal that this guy was saying. He was saying, look, we cannot just help these businesses and set up these ghost companies, companies that they are, you know, we talk about, you know, people getting money from the government and, and only having that. They're, they're doing basically the same thing with companies if the companies have no one to purchase their products or their services. There's talk about. Oh, we're going to see a rise in corporate defaults if we scale back support. If we don't help these companies, they're just going to just going to default and that's going to just ripple across the economy and ultimately the globe and it's going to be so bad. But what about consumer defaults? Consumer defaults have more I'm not going to say one is greater than the other, right? A company defaults, you have a community that loses jobs, you have multiple families that lose jobs, right? That is utterly horrible. But the same can be said for a family. Yes, it's just that one family that loses that source of income, but then that turns into a consumer who is not as participatory in our economy because they cannot be, right? Uh, so it's, 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 both of these things are super detrimental. Are we going to live in a perfect world where neither happens? No, but we do need to try and mitigate uh, either, you know, them happening as much as possible, or we have to be more thoughtful of our attempt to actually mitigate. We can't just say, well, we're going to help businesses, but we're not going to help consumers. We're going to pull the rug from other consumers and it's going to demand that they, okay, you're going to demand that they jump and get back to work. but if, oh, I mean, again, I don't want to just keep rehashing the same conversation over and over and over, but it's literally like some people don't get it. They do not get it. I bring up all the time the free market, right? There's this idea that we have this free market. God bless the free market. We say God bless the free market as much as we say God bless America. <sighs> But what are we doing to actually incentivize business participation in the free market if we don't incentivize their improvement of their operations, right? If we don't in incentivize that they meet the demands of the market rather than trying to have the market meet the demands of businesses that quite frankly should have failed 50 years ago. What about incentivizing that companies be rewarded for their work. We talk about rewarding uh, average everyday Americans for their work and giving them a sense of pride. What about a company having a sense of pride of actually meeting the demands of the market and not being able to just be propped up by daddy government and have people forced to come back even when they don't pay adequate wages, even when they don't provide safe work conditions? What about that? To me, what I'm seeing right now is a market that is not free, but a market that would rather than doing all of that stuff, it would rather prop up companies, again, that either should have been out of business long ago or that are refusing to make the adjustments that are typically demanded of companies if they want to stay in business. When has it ever been the norm that we fight for a company that refuses to pivot. Pivoting is part of business, right? Anybody who has started a business knows you might come to the market kind of thinking you have your business plan written and you're like, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But then you listen to the market, you listen to potential customers and, and you find out, oh my gosh, this was my idea. But if I want to make this business work, I either have to tweak a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or I've got to completely change my business model because it does not 
either sufficiently or at all meet the demands of the market. And if you have businesses that are not meeting the demands of the bar of the market, why are we popping them up? Why can't we set up a situation where the free, the, 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 the consumers in the free market that we have decide who wins and who loses, not the government saying you win, you lose. Again, some of these businesses should have been out of business a long time ago. So we're going to be seeing low interest rates is they're going to go on for quite some time. There's going to there's other things didn't really talk about them, but this was the main thing because you know, we really when you listen to the conversation around low interest rates, um it's really positioned to be or talked about as being kind of the savior of business across the country. It's it's the savior for business owners, small, medium, and large. But I point that out, not because I don't support it. I actually, you know, do to an extent. It's necessary in this situation. However, we cannot detach the assistance that we provide businesses from the assistance that we provide consumers. It's never going to be 50-50. It's never going to be we're going to give $1 trillion to them. One No, sometimes one group is going to demand more. That's okay, right? Same how we had the conversation about, you know, a janitor never making the same as a, as a CEO. That's okay. You didn't make the same sacrifices. But at the same time, just how we talked about in part one, if we completely pull the rug from even just one part of this equation, because it's not just a business owner only equation, you have business owners and you have consumers. If we completely pull the rug under from under the consumers, right? Even though everyone consumes technically in our economy, but the typically the, pe the people who we typically think of as consumers, I want you, I'm gonna close with this. I want you to keep your eye on the states that starting next month are going to be rolling back their uh, participation in the PUA program earlier than the federal government has authorized them to, to have the PUA funding. So I want you to pay attention and see what happens in those states. We're gonna be keeping a close eye at uh, the numbers in terms of consumerism in, in those states. We're gonna be keeping an eye on employment numbers. We're gonna be taking a look also at the COVID numbers, mortality rates because I can guarantee you there will be a connection between those who continue to provide support and those who do not. I've been saying for a while now that we need to see changes in the labor market due to COVID-19 and its recession. But are we actually going to see changes in the labor market due to COVID-19? and the recession? Um, the answer to that is yes. In fact, we actually already have started seeing changes in the labor market. Um, some of them good, some of them not so good, depending on kind of how you look at the situation and, and where you kind of stand in the overall picture. But when it comes to seeing changes in the labor market, all I can say is it's about damn time. Um, I talked about in part one how if you want to see change, right? If if you feel like there is inequality and it doesn't matter the issue, you know, who you sleep with or whatever, whatever your social issue of the month is, right? Um, it doesn't matter. But if you want to see change, if you feel like you were dealing with inequality, we've talked about in part one how you actually overcome that. Marching in the street is not going to get you anywhere, right? We talked about the two groups of people, one who just marches in the street constantly, but continues to literally get the living crap kicked out of them. Uh, and then the other group who you barely see them in the streets, but they have political power like you would not believe. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to part one uh, of this, this two-part kind of episode. But anywho, 
when it comes to changes in the labor market, um, many people are aware that we need to see change. Um, we've needed to see change for some time, whether it's, you know, rages or rights or, you know, what, whatever. There are, there are a lot of aspects of employment um, where it's about time that we've had conversations about change, about uh, things being better. I worry that some people have listened to some of our podcast episodes, have listened to some of my commentary, and they may be of the mind that I want our economy to perpetually stay closed. I want us all locked in, all locked in the house wearing hazmat suits. I'm down with the hazmat suits. But, and even, and even, and quite frankly, even now I'm kind of like, okay, you can take your hazmat suit off. You know, we're, we're coming out of this thing a little bit, but I, I want to make it very clear before I really delve into answering the question around, um, are we going to see changes in the labor market and kind of what those changes will be? I want to be very clear that my position, the position of this organization is that the economy has to get back going. Um, we are not advocating for a situation where, again, our economy remains closed uh, and everyone just stays home and collects stimulus checks, right? We're, we're not advocating that. Um, I'm, we haven't officially put anything out yet, but I will say in this moment that uh, if you know anything about our organization in the past, we used to focus on kind of more divisive social issues. And at the board level, we made a decision, hey, that's not the direction that we want to take the organization. And we decided to, when COVID came around, focus on economic stimulus, understanding the severity of the economic condition our country was being put through due to COVID. Uh, when we reach a better point in this COVID recession, our plan as an organization is to transition off of this issue, but to focus on economic issues, economic issues that serve to benefit those who most often are economically disenfranchised, okay? But we're not doing that as an organization that is trying to get you out there marching on the streets or registering you to vote. There are plenty of organizations that do that. Okay, that's their lane. Our lane is not that. And I'm not telling you to not get involved with those organizations, but just, again, ask yourself, how many times have you been out there marching? How many times have you voted? Have you seen the change that you want to see? If the answer is no, you need to think about doing something different. But anywho, I say all that because I really feel the need to, to clarify, because I don't want anyone thinking that, oh, I found an organization that will allow me and they want to fight for me to just sit home and get stimulus checks till I'm 65 and then I'll go on and that's not the plan, bro. <laughs> like That's not what we're trying to do. Okay. Um, we do want the economy to get back open. Um, and quite frankly, we're already starting to see that happen. Right. And part of that reopening doesn't include or doesn't only include people being able to go to concerts or traveling or seeing family, all that stuff is important, but just as important as those things is people being able to go to work. That is also part of what we want. So uh, again, let me make it very, very clear. We are not an, an organization that advocates for people not to work. We work every day, right? Our, our team is not advocating for you to not work because we believe that there is a select group of people in this country who deserve, there might be, but that's not what we do, right? We believe that part of our country, country reopening, healing, bringing back better or whatever the dang slogan is, we believe that that includes people getting to work, but doing it safely, doing it with dignity and, and doing it in a way that uh, is the main thing is safe, right? Like after the year we've just had, the main thing is, is safe. But 
I rarely acknowledge that there are some people who benefit from the system as it currently is. Okay. Um, these are people who the way that we have always done things as a, things as a society has always worked out for them. It, it benefits them when there are those who cannot afford to meet their basic needs, right? It benefits them when there are those who have to continuously take out payday loans. It benefits them when there are people who, no matter if they work a 60 hour, 40 to 60 hour work week, they still can't you know, uh, pay their bills. It benefits them the way the system is currently set up. And these people have to realize that the government, as it should, is doing everything it can to look out for companies that would not survive in this moment without its assistance. These people have to understand that the government must not it should, not it can, but the government must do the same for average Americans, for consumers, for workers. Our government, whether or not some people like this or want to hear it, it is being forced to boost social welfare. And that social welfare is not just social welfare for, you know, the Walton family. It's not just social welfare for Amazon. It's social welfare for your neighbors. It's so social wel welfare for that family across the tracks. It's social welfare for those who've already been getting welfare. It's social welfare for those who have never received welfare, but at some point in this past year had to go stand in bread lines because they lost their job through no fault of their own. Our government across the board has to increase social welfare. And it's not just going to have to do it in this moment. It is going to have to do it extending beyond the confines of this pandemic. We have two problems. Well, there are many problems, don't get me wrong, but there are kind of two main problems that come to mind when I think about this kind of bigger picture. Okay. Um, there's the recession from the pandemic and there's also the fact that almost as a solution to that, that a lot of companies were put in a situation where if they attempted to uh, kind of be innovative, if they attempted to meet, to meet the demands of the market, excuse me, Part of their attempt as a company to survive was to speed up focus on two things, two things that some of you guys don't want to hear about. They had to focus on and kind of transition to automation. Maybe they weren't doing things automated before, or maybe they were just kind of doing 20% automation and 30, you know, 80% non-automation. But maybe in order to survive, they had to say, hey, we've got to go full-blown automation here. Or if they didn't do autom automation, they did some form of di digitization. I knew I was going to struggle with that word. They had to do some form of that, that, um, again, displaced people who were not just displaced because of the pandemic, but they were now going to be displaced even after the pandemic because the company found a way to make it without them, which they had to do. You, you can't sit and say, well, how dare you try? No, 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 no. We've, again, we've got to be fair here, right? Um, there were some companies that legitimately did not try to meet the demands of the market. And they just said, well, let me collect the check. I mean, they say it about, you know, some of the unemployed, right? They just said, let me, some companies did that. But then there were genuinely some companies that said, you know what? I've got to find a way to survive. I've got to find a way to keep this door open. And maybe me keeping this door open means that we've got to automate. Maybe we've got to digitize. And maybe that means that instead of having a, a staff of 20 come back, we're going to have a staff of five to seven. That is a cold, hard fact that some might see as kind of a problem caused by the pandemic, but others, namely the business owners, might see it as, oh my gosh, this innovation has not only helped us come through the pandemic, but has helped us 
be in so much more of a better financial situation than we would have been even without the pandemic. One of the issues we used to focus on before was rideshare as an organization. We focused on drivers in the rideshare industry and we focused on um, how the rideshare industry is not set up to benefit drivers. It is completely exploitative. It is completely, um, uh, in so many ways, it, it works against the best interest of rideshare drivers. And so one of the conversations that at the time of our focus on that issue that we had to have as an honest conversation with drivers is look, you cannot have a game plan to be a rideshare driver for 10, you know, 20 years. Like you've got a good, you've got less than 10 years before Uber is no longer going to need you. Lyft is no longer going to need you. That was a difficult conversation because nobody wants to hear that a machine is going to replace them. Nobody wants to hear that the skill that they either only knew how to do or that they took very much pride in 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 being considered an expert nobody wants to hear that i am going to be replaced by something that's not even human right but it was a conversation we had to have because it was like look as an organization we want to help fight for your rights as rideshare drivers we want to make sure that you at least make um some form of a minimum wage we want to make sure that there is a certain level of behavioral control that these companies don't have over you if they are indeed claiming that you are an independent contractor as opposed to an employee right there's a whole list of things but at the end of the day, we said, look, even with all of this, your time is limited. You need to make a game plan. You need to have an exit strategy because this is not going to be permanent. And, and I say that because it makes me think in this moment of the low to medium skilled level jobs that are severely at risk due to automation and digitization. And it doesn't matter the industry, right? We had a few years ago where well, I just mentioned rideshare. I think that industry is kind of, it's not as shocking as it was to think about, oh my gosh, we're going to be replaced because they've been knowing about it for years, right? You know, you would see in San Francisco, I used to be in San Francisco a lot and you would see Uber's, you know, driverless car, except there was a Chevron gas station that I would always go to. And, um, literally you would always see that the uber thing and and i'm like okay like how are you here to get gas <laughs> like there's nobody there but i if i can recall i think there was someone in it i i don't ask me that was so long ago but anywho so there was that industry right and then i remember i think it was a few years before that we were hearing about some fast food industries or excuse me some fast food restaurants replacing cashiers with um, you know, now you just go in and you do the touch screen and you order and you don't even have to talk to anybody. Right. Uh, and then I want to say, I'd even heard of some fast food restaurants, not even having just like, you know, cashier robots, but having robots back there making your food. I think it was like Hardee's or Carl's Jr. or something. We don't have a Hardee's here. I have no idea. Uh, then you had heard about, uh, what else did I hear? You know, you, you go to pretty much any store nowadays, uh, grocery store, you could go to Safeway, Smith's, Walmart, you know, talk, you see self-checkout. You've had cashiers displaced by that. It all across in various industries. I kid you not, I've even heard that automation is even uh, like taking shape with with attorneys, right? Like, whoa, you how how in the heck can we have like robot attorneys? It's coming, y'all. It is absolutely coming. Now, the second they replace doctors, <laughs> I'm gonna have a problem because they're not gonna bring their little cold, clampy metal hands as robots trying to do any type of exam on me. I need human hands and human hands only. But anywho, all across different industries, we've heard about 
automation. It is not only happening in low and middle skilled, uh, medium skilled level jobs, but again, you are starting even to see some high skilled specializations also kind of leaning towards at a less at a lesser rate, but it's still happening. You're starting to hear about automation happening on their end. I mean, you you can even think about thinking and speaking of doctors. How often do you hear now about conversations, not conversations, um, surgeries happening via robot or robot assisted surgery? Right? You know. Now, of course, you still have the grand master wizard super doctor behind, you know, controlling the thing, hopefully. But again, we're kind of headed in that direction already. And and I have to say this because it, it has to be said, not everyone, even with me saying that Automization and digitization happens at a lesser rate with higher skilled jobs. And, and and you don't see that being as much of a problem as low and medium skilled jobs. The deal still is that not everybody is going to have a degree. Um, quite honestly, and this is me being very, very honest with you. When you look at, for instance the value of even a bachelor's degree now compared to 10 years ago, it's almost worthless. I'm not saying it doesn't help you to have one, but I can tell you, I mean, it's kind of like for women. Um, If everybody has a certain handbag, right? If you're into handbags, kind of the value of it kind of goes down because it's like, well, everyone has one. It's not that special. But when you only see that bag every once in a while, then it's like, oh my gosh, she has one of those. Oh my gosh, what is her story, right? How did she get her hands on one of those? But, you know, like, what? Are, I'm not really like big on handbags or anything like that, but um, I, I couldn't tell you names, but like certain handbags that you used to only see, just say like at Nordstrom's or something, like you're now seeing it like Ross or something. No disrespect to people who like shop there, but it's like if more people have access to it, and I'm not saying, you know, don't get no, don't please don't quote me as saying that. But I but I'm saying that not everyone, for whatever reason, whether it's because they didn't want to go to school, they didn't have the opportunity, not everybody is going to have a degree. And we should not be constructing a society that does require everyone to have one because we know how a society was where people literally just had a high school diploma and still were able to be productive members of society, uh, members of society who did not have to live paycheck to paycheck, who could afford a home, who could still live a middle-class life when we had trades being taught in school, right? We don't have that anymore. I mean, we could really get into that whole conversation about, you know, deindustrialization and trades being taken. Yeah, I really could go down that long rabbit hole with you, but I won't. But not everyone is going to go to college. Not everyone is going to own a business. Some people are going to have to work at businesses. Again, I say this not because the outcome has to be the same for everybody, right? Everybody has to make X amount per year. Everybody has to drive the same car. I'm not, I don't believe in that equal outcome crap. But I do believe in equal opportunity. And the opportunities that people should have should not be opportunities. Now, yes, don't get me wrong. There is a certain aspect of, you know, you make certain life choices, you kind of got to deal with them. But should a person really be punished their entire life, never able to attain any higher station because they made one bad mistake, one bad decision, especially if it was in their younger years? What if they didn't grow up with two parents? Or what if they didn't know? I mean, it, it 
I say this because this is not just some simple conversation where it's like, well, everyone has the same opportunity. No, they don't. You could go to the same school as somebody, live in the same neighborhood, but still not have the same opportunity. There are various reasons. But again, should your outcomes be guaranteed to be the same when one of you obviously has work ethic and one of you doesn't? Absolutely not. If one of you has a different skill set than the other skill set and there's different demand levels for both, absolutely not. There, It's not a, a simple conversation. But part of the lack of simplicity is that, look, the solution is not as simple as get a degree, go to I know plenty of people. Well, I don't want to say plenty, but I know some people who have degrees, who have no work ethic, who are lazy as all get out, who literally lay in bed all day. Should that person make X amount per year simply because they have a degree that they refuse to do nothing with? Or maybe they have some sort of work ethic, but maybe they have no people skills and they're a horrible person. They can't interact decently with people on their job. Should they deserve to make just because they have a degree, just because they went to college? No. we really have to rethink a lot of things in this country. And and we have to rethink a lot of things across the board. It's not just let's rethink the labor market. We have so much that we have to think about. But one of the things that we can not stop thinking about is that the government has to focus on, in this moment, continuing to support the social welfare structure, not of only businesses, but of also your average everyday Americans, companies and workers. We have to think about, we have to consider the businesses. They have to be willing to train New and current employees, the the days of companies saying you must come with 100% of what I want in order for us to give you an opportunity, that those days have to be gone. I understand that it does cost a lot to bring a new person on board. There's a lot of risk that comes along with it. And some risk is more optimal than other risk. I totally get that. But we can no longer... The, the, the old way we've done things, it has not worked. We cannot continue to do that. Employees are going to come along with skills gaps, especially, I mean, you could say, well, people have been home, you know, after, you know, due to the pandemic, they should have been working on their skills. Yeah, you could make that argument. But what responsibility do you have as an employer to say, you know what? I am going to be willing to take someone who has 70% of the skills that I want and train them on the other 30%. Maybe to kind of compensate for having to do that. Maybe I don't give them the starting rate that I otherwise would, right? Um, It's not that, oh, I'm going to train you on everything and you're going to make top dollar again. That's not what we're advocating for. But what we are advocating for is for people to get a shot. And speaking of automation and digitization, specifically low and medium skilled laborers in this labor market. You have to be willing to be retooled and reskilled. You cannot sit and complain if your industry, if your business has decided that a robot will perform better than you. Unless you were going to agree to make less than the robot, And even still, in a lot of respects, a business owner would be crazy. Even if you said, I'll take take less than the robot, just keep me on. You have to be willing. If you want to be an active member of this labor market, you might have to pick up some new skills. You might have to brush up on some skills that maybe you learned 20 years ago, but times have changed. Systems have changed. If you were not willing 
to make changes, how employers need to be willing to make changes. You, you, my friend, deserve to be left behind, just like the employers deserve to be left behind if they aren't willing to get up and shape up because the times have changed for everybody, businesses and employees. Today's resource that I am sharing is a resource that we have uh, mentioned and promoted several times on our podcast before. Um, What it is, is an official government tool that will help you confirm if the IRS and Treasury have sent your economic impact payment, your stimulus check. Um, But in addition to that, it will also let you know the method by which they sent it, how they sent it, if they sent a uh, direct deposit, and if you didn't get it, maybe it went into a wrong account. Um, And if that's the case, it will also inform you of what will happen. Um, Maybe they mailed you a check and it's in the mail and you, you know, your mail's just, who knows, right? Um, But if I don't have that information, but this tool does, it again is an official government tool. Uh, to get access to it, if you want, if you look in the description box of this episode, you will find a link to join our mailing list. We will not spam you. Um, our mailing list is an awesome way to keep in contact with us. Uh, but most importantly, it's an awesome way to get access to this tool. It's great, again, for you if you have not yet received your, received your economic impact payment, uh, as well as other people. It might be something that you want to get access to, so that way you can share it with them. Um, the resource also does mention um, the other kind of option that some people are going to um, have when it comes to actually getting your economic impact payment. Some people will get checks, some people will get direct deposits, some people who are eligible will end up having to utilize a tax credit. Uh, If you want more information, not just on um, how you'll get your payment, if you'll get it when, Uh, You also, you know, might want to get information on this tax credit, uh, which this tool will also provide you information on. So again, if you look in the description box below, click the link to join our email list. You'll just have to give us your name, your email address. And as soon as you sign up, we'll get you a welcome email. And then like within a few seconds after that, you'll get the email with access to this resource. Uh, So you can find that in the description box below. I hope the resource is of benefit to you or someone you know. All right, so that concludes the second part to our two-part kind of short series about deficits, changes, and the labor market. I hope that after listening to parts one and two, you walk away kind of with three things, right? I want you to walk away uh, understanding first and foremost that record high deficits are a thing. Um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the recession and the stimulus packages that we've seen, but they're not unique to our country. They're happening across the globe. Um, I also hope that you walk away from these two episodes understanding that um, we're primed to see a few different economic changes continue even after the pandemic ends, one of which is low interest rates, Um, But even when you think about not just low interest rates, but kind of some of the other economic changes that we're primed to see, I want you to really think about the fact that we should not only be helping businesses, we still need to help consumers, your average everyday Americans, because we cannot pull the rug from under them just yet. Am I saying keep the rug indefinitely? Absolutely not. But we cannot afford to do the economic da- the economic damage that will be done if we just pull the economic rug 
support from under so many people as quite frankly has already uh, started to be done in various states by the ending of their PUA program participation. And finally, I want you to walk away from this two-part series understanding that we have to have changes to the labor market. Um, this is not just about, you know, now is the perfect time to kind of capitalize on things and demand change, but we've already started to see things from employers in terms of kind of that sprint towards automation and digitization. Uh, but we also have to see other things from employers, such as being willing to um, get those people on board or promote those people from within who may not have all of the skills that you desire, but they have to be willing to support those people, train those people to take them to new heights, new levels. But last and not least, we have to have employees in the situation that don't fight the changes that are happening and that are aware that if you want to, to remain a viable participant in this new, ever-changing and shifting labor market, you have to be willing to retool and reskill because without basically doing the two of those, you're going to be sitting on the sidelines, organizing marches, million man non-skilled marches, right? So, and we don't want that. We want you to be able to suit up and boot up for the changes that are not only bound to happen, but have already started happening and are happening as I speak. Guys, this extends so far beyond just COVID. We're coming through on the other side, but we're carrying some remnants of this recession with us. We're carrying remnants. Some people are carrying remnants of uh, their health, uh, the detriments to their health from having been exposed to COVID. Maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode. But those are things that I want you to walk away with. Please be safe out there. The pandemic is not over. It's getting better, but we're not done. And I need you to remain safe until we clearly make it out the other side of this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our PAC Politics Podcast. Have a good day, and I plan to as well. Thank you. Bye-bye.